The scripture reading this morning is from Isaiah chapter 49, verses 1 through 7. We're going to be reading it in two different versions this morning. Uh, First the ESV and then the NIV. Uh, The words will be on the screen behind me. Listen to me. Listen to me. (laughs) Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb. From the body of my mother, he named my name. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver, he hid me away. And he said to me, You are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. But I said, I've labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity. Yet surely my right hand is with the Lord and my recompense with my God. And now the Lord says, He who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. He says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and his Holy One, to one deeply despised, abhorred by the nation, the servant of rulers. Kings shall see and arise, princes, and they shall prostrate themselves. Because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, who has chosen you. And again from the NIV. Listen to me, you islands. Hear this, you distant nations. Before I was born, the Lord called me. From my birth, he has made mention of my name. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. He said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will display my splendor. But I said, I have labored to no purpose. I have spent my strength in vain and for nothing. Yet, what is due me is in the Lord's hand, and my reward is with my God. And now the Lord says, he who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and gather Israel to himself, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has been my strength. He says, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob, to bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. This is what the Lord says, the Redeemer and Holy One of Israel, 
to him who is despised and abhorred by the nation, to the servant of rulers. Kings will see you and rise up. Princes will see you and bow down because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. <clears throat> Our speaker this morning is uh, the Reverend Paul Borthwick. Uh, Paul and Christy Borthwick serve on staff with Development Associates International, a training organization dedicated to the character and ministry development of leaders in the under-resourced world. Paul taught global Christianity for over 30 years at Gordon College and served as Urbana Missions Associate with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship for 16 years. He was for many years a missions pastor, and Paul and Christy spend two to four months a year uh, doing ministry in other countries. Blessings, Paul, as you bring us God's word. Well, good morning, everyone. I'm wondering if uh, PowerPoint people could put up the theme of the conference, just to leave it there. And I'm asking this for two reasons. Number one, I don't know how to do PowerPoint, and I'm just using this on the screen. But secondly, the phrase, declare his glory. The theme of the conference actually comes from a verse in Chronicles in the Old Testament. And the reason why I wanted to concentrate on this phrase, declare his glory, because it's a reminder of the fact that missions are declaring God's glory to the ends of the earth, being globally oriented, taking God's word to people who might not be within our fold or even within our culture. This is not something that began in the New Testament when Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations. It's not something that began on the day of Pentecost when the church began to spread across cultures. It was from the very beginning that God told Abram, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to make your name great, and through you all the nations on earth will be blessed. The reason why that's significant is because we need to realize the very heart of our God is a global God for all peoples. When I was a student at uh, Gordon-Conwell Seminary, Dr. Uh, Kaiser, who is a, a professor of Old Testament, had written a book called Missions in the Old Testament. And the whole book is only about passages in the Old Testament talking about God's heart for the nations. Read carefully in the book of Exodus, you'll find out that Israelites were not the only ones that left Egypt out of captivity. They actually brought Egyptians with them as well because God's heart is for all the nations. There's a book of the Bible, Ruth, which is actually a feature about a Gentile woman, a non-Jewish woman. And in Psalm 96, this same phrase from Chronicles appears, and he says, Declare my glory in the nations, all, all my works amongst all the peoples. In Psalm 96, all the earth is mentioned once. All, all the world is mentioned once. All the earth four times. All the nations three times. And all the peoples three times. The bottom line is, we're not doing something here that started just during the time of Jesus. We're part of a God who has a concern for all the nations. And with that in mind, I'm opening us up to Isaiah chapter 49. Now, if you want to know something about the context, this is sometimes called in your Bibles, it might say the servant of the Lord. 
Sometimes it's referred to as a messianic prophecy, meaning alluding to the fact that it's referring to Jesus as the representative of Israel. And it goes through, and I love this first one, listen to me, you islands. I don't know about you, but when winter comes up, I believe that God wants to call me to go preach to the islands, you know. Later in Isaiah, it actually says, ho there, flee from the land of the north, which I actually think is a snowbird verse. But, uh, but listen to me, you islands. So in other words, everybody, don't, not just Israel, not just a geographical nation state of Israel, listen to me, all you islands. So that's the far-reaching places to the people that would read this. And here you distant nations, and meaning the people who are outside of our normal boundaries. Before I was born, the Lord called me from my mother's womb. He has spoken my name. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me into a polished arrow, concealed me in his quiver. Whether this is actually referring prophetically to Jesus, the Messiah, or to the people of Israel in general, is not actually clear. But whatever it is, it's a reminder of the fact that God had chosen these people and their representative, Jesus, to be his agent in the world. He said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will display my splendor. Um, If you read in Psalm 2, verse 8, it's a messianic thing where Jesus is, it's attributed to Jesus, ask of me and I will give the nations as your inheritance, the very ends of the earth as your possession. In other words, the very heart of God expressed through Israel first, then through Jesus as specific representative, is for all the peoples to declare, to hear God's glory and to bow in worship. But then in verse 4, he highlights the fact that Israel has failed. I've labored in vain. I've spent my strength for nothing. What's due me is in the Lord's hand. In other words, I, I failed. Israel did fail. Israel failed its mission to declare God's glory to the nations. They became territorial. They became nationalistic. They turned inward and decided they were, that preserve, preservation of Israel was really what mattered. And this is the people of Israel in the Bible. I'm not talking about contemporary Israel, of course. But yet, Dumi is in the Lord's hand. In other words, the Lord's going to do something in spite of my failure. And that verse is actually quite significant for all of us. Because inevitably, at some point in time, when we start thinking about global mission or local outreach, we easily get overwhelmed by our own sense of failure, like I can't do it. Or I blew it. You know, I had the opportunity and I didn't take it. And I I was in Campus Crusade when I was in University of Massachusetts. And, And in Campus Crusade in those days, you used to get your credibility by how many people you talked to about Jesus. And so that was kind of like a self-esteem thing. And I remember sometimes I would say to people, today I had an amazing opportunity to share the gospel with someone. Then they caught on that I was actually just sort of slinging it. Because they said, well, did you take it? Well, no, actually not. (laughs) In other words, all of us every day have amazing opportunities to share Jesus. But many of us blow it. This passage is a reminder that God doesn't give up on us. And now the Lord says, verse 6, I'm sorry, verse 5, He who formed me in the womb to be a servant, to bring Jacob back to him, to gather Israel to himself. So this is talking about the revival of the people coming back to presumably the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And he says, he says, I'm honored in the eyes of the Lord. The Lord, my God has been my strength. So in other words, faithful to reach your own, that's part of this. 
But then he says in verse 6, it's too small a thing. Too small for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob, bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. The question I want to launch your week of mission focus on is this question. Is your vision too small? You see, the the Bible doesn't say that it's wrong for you to be concerned only for the people of Israel. In this passage, at least, he's basically saying it's not wrong, it's just too light, the uh, ESV that we read, or too small of a vision. And and if my concern is only for the town I live in, which is Lexington, it's not a bad vision, it's just too small. If my vision is only for Massachusetts, not a bad vision, it's just too small. If my vision is only for the United States, only for North America, only for the Western Hemisphere, it's just too small. Now you ask me the question, well, yeah, but I don't know, I can barely manage my own neighborhood, never mind the nations. We'll talk about that in a moment. But God wants us to have a big picture, Uh, an amazing picture. In Sunday school class this morning, we learned 75% of our Christian brothers and sisters live in Africa, Asia, and Latin America. If all we think about is New England, we sometimes can get discouraged. Amen? You know, I don't know about you, but sometimes in New England, it just seems like you're beating your head against the wall. Or we have a culture that somebody called ABC culture. You know what ABC is? Anything but Christian. You know, if some sports figure says, I worship the Dalai Lama, he gets full attention. But if we say we're followers of Jesus, oh, you know, cultural imperialists and all these other things. I've lived here all my life. If you want me to say the word hard, I can, okay? <laughs> but sometimes it's just good to know that if our vision is too small, it becomes very, it almost becomes smothered. We need to know about other places in the world where God's at work to help us to stay faithful to where God's at work in our midst and realize that maybe in the cycles of God's working, we're at a different stage than the church might be in southern Nigeria. I, I go to Nigeria a lot. Uh, maybe I've shared it here in a vi- previous visit. But um, a few years ago, I went to the worship center of the Redeemed Christian Church of God, Nigeria. The prayer meeting facility holds 500,000 people. 500,000 people. If you're driving down that road on Friday night when they have an all-night prayer meeting you will probably want to abandon your faith because you'll be in traffic so long. You know, but there'll be all night long, 500,000 people. Then they have every year in their big worship facility, that's the junior worship facility, their big worship facility is uh, three kilometers by three kilometers. That's, for those of you who aren't in metrics, that's 1.8 miles times 1.8 miles. That's their worship center with continuous Roofing. So when they have their conference on the Holy Spirit, they have 2.6 million people under continuous roofs. And their vision is to plant a church every two kilometers every, so that everybody in the world can walk to church. Just knowing they're they doing that in a tough place like Nigeria gives me strength to stay, stay, stay faithful where I am. And that if you go to north of Nigeria, every Christian will give a testimony of somebody who's died at the hand of radical Islamists. So it's both and. We need to have a bigger vision. It's too small for me to be, 
For, for you to be my servant only is the way I should read. It's too small only to restore the tribes of Israel and bring back those of Israel, the uh, tribes of Jacob and those of Israel I have kept. I will make you for a light to the Gentiles that all that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. You see, we're not Christians just to sort of preserve ourselves. We're not Christians just to sort of build a fortress to keep the Christian community safe. We're Christians to be a light of, the sal of salvation to, to the nations. But maybe starting with the neighborhood. This week I was uh, down at CVS in Lexington Center and I talked to a fellow who is... Uh, I asked him, I said, what's your, what's your first nation? Where, where do you first come from? He says, from India. I said, what part of India? I've been to India. He says, I'm Gujarati. Right? And I said, oh, so your name is either uh, Mr. Desai or uh, and then, uh, Mr. Patel. Oh! And suddenly he was like my best friend. You know? Because I knew something about his people. Gujaratis in India are some of the most difficult people to reach. But Gujaratis at CVS are open to me and my friends. <laughs> Do you get my point? You have a ministry here with international students. There are countries here. Steve, how many people, do you know, are there Boston students from Saudi Arabia anymore? Lots of Saudis. Decreasing, and this week, depending on what they discover about that guy who was murdered, may decrease even more. Anyhow, you will never be able to invite a Saudi to church in Saudi Arabia. But you can invite him to church here. Or you can just become his friend. And you might be the first Christ-following person that person has ever met. If your only concern is for people who look like you, your vision is okay. It's just too small. Then the, the last verse talks about Jesus as the rejected one. And then the long-term view. This is what the Lord says. The Redeemer and the Holy One of Israel, to him who was despised and abhorred by the nation... To the servant of rulers, kings will see you and stand up. Princes will see and bow down because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. Sometimes this is also called the Lord's servant section or the suffering servant. It's a reminder of God's long-term view that sometimes the hardship comes before the fruit. Sometimes the suffering comes before the success. And that's what Jesus' life illustrates. So with the theme being, declare His glory, and this verse asking if our vision is too small, let me give several different questions for us to wrestle with. The first one is, is our vision of God too small? Is our vision of God too small? The, the Bible says the Lord reigns. Do you believe that? The Lord is over all the nations. Really? Really? Sometimes I think we get the impression that not just God is our, the God of our nation, but that God is our nationalistic God. Dr. John Stott tells the story of being on sabbatical when he was at his own country of England, and he went to a village church uh, in, the, in the nice little uh, countryside area, and he says, I worshiped with them for a whole summer. And the pastor prayed about village issues. And he preached about village concerns. And he addressed some of the issues of how God's love should affect their village. But all through the summer, it was the same pattern. 
And he says, I came to the conclusion at the end of the summer, this church worshipped a village God. Our God is God of the nations. How big is your vision of God? You know, basically asking the question, am I a citizen of God's kingdom first before I am a citizen of the United States? It's interesting. I, I, I do a lot of traveling teaching about the issue of ethnicity. I was just in Myanmar, which is Burma, used to be called Burma. And in one of my classes, I had 27 different ethnicities. And one of the biggest problems is their unwillingness to get along with each other, even within the Christian church. If you know anything about the Rwandan genocide, 1994, it was Christians killing Christians. Because they were first Hutus or Tutsis. And I always ask them the question, who are you first? You see, if I'm first a Christian, then I evaluate all of my culture by my Christian values. If I'm first an American, then I submit my Christian values to my American priorities. And am I first a follower of Jesus? If I'm first a follower of Jesus, it changes the way I look at God in the world. It changes the way I look at the world. Because our God is the God who wants every person to be saved. Last night, one of our sisters told a story about praying for the Taliban. Praying for the Taliban. Everybody know who the Taliban is, right? You know, uh, radical Muslim extremists in uh, mostly Afghanistan, some in, uh, some in northern Pakistan. And, and uh, you know, I, I shared that one time at a church, and this guy came up. He says, I'm praying for the Taliban. Take him, Jesus. Take him. You know? And I'm saying, yeah, that, that would be an American prayer. But what would the Christian prayer be? Lord Jesus, you who appeared to a terrorist who thought he was killing Christians to serve God, could you appear to this guy? What is the terrorist who thought he was serving God by killing Christians? Saul of Tarsus. Later becomes Paul the Apostle. See, when we look at the size of our God, we see things bigger. Bigger than anything we could do. If you're concerned about, if you have any Muslim friends, right? If you have any Muslim friends, and chances are if you go to your doctor's office and it's Abdul Abdullah, probably he's a Muslim. I'm just saying. If his name is Muhammad, sealed it, right? Just pray for them by name that they'll have a dream or a vision or an appearance of Jesus. Almost every place in the Muslim world where Muslims are turning to Jesus, it's preceded by a miracle, it's preceded by a vision of Jesus, a visit from an angel, because Muslims hold such high esteem on that because that's the way Muhammad got the Quran. Right? You might say, I don't know if I believe in that stuff. It doesn't matter. Your God is bigger than your limited belief. Ask God to do it in Jesus' name. How small is our vision of God. We need to really look at the whole globe and realize God is the God of all the nations. The Lord of the nations who wants His glory declared among the nations. The United States, my home country, your home country, is 5% of the world. 5%. 95% of the world lives outside of our borders. If we have a God who is only our American God, we have so micromanaged God, we're not going to see the work of God in the world. Declare His glory among the nations. 
Is our vision of God too small? Is our vision of ourselves too small? It was way back, I think in uh, 2013, the seven, seven billionth person was born on planet Earth. Right? So you're not, no longer one in a million. You're one in like 7.5 billion. And when you think about that, it's pretty incidental. Right? You don't think very much. But if the Bible says God knows you by name, He calls you by name. I know you. I want you. And I love to celebrate the fact that the miracle in the Bible, outside of the resurrection, the only miracle in the Bible that appears in all of the gospel, all four gospels, outside of the resurrection, is the feeding of the 5,000. Right? And who's the star player in the feeding of the 5,000 and not Jesus? Who's the star player? Anybody know? The little boy. And it's an amazing passage. Especially in in, uh, the Gospel of John, it says, here is a small boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. Operative word, small. God loves to do things through things small. You might not be able to reach to the end of the nations, but you might be able to reach someone in your neighborhood. Declare His glory among the nations starts by declaring His glory at your workplace. By the way you live and the way you work and the things you say. Declaring God's glory to the nations might not start by going to some other country in the world. It might start by simply praying for that guy, Muhammad, that you met at the medical clinic. Because God is the God who takes things small. What's the size of faith we have to have to move a mountain? Mustard seed. The little boy, not known to us, but he was a miracle, uh, a miracle catalyst by giving the small lunch that he had. Hudson Taylor, famous missionary to uh, China and founder of what we know now as Overseas Missionary Fellowship, in the early 1900s, China Inland Mission, the same mission, Uh, was actually the fastest-growing mission in the world, one of the first mission agencies ever to have over a 1,000 missionaries. And he was asked the question, what was the secret of his success? He said, God chose me because I was small enough. In the Old Testament, King Saul is rebuked by God, when you were small in your own eyes, I made you great. When you became proud, I reduced you. Don't worry about being too small because you have a God who delights in taking things small. The one international student you host for Thanksgiving could be a world changer. I ask people sometimes, who was the most significant missionary in the New Testament? Inevitably, the answer comes back, Paul the Apostle. I would say the most significant missionary in the Old Testament was Ananias of Damascus. Ananias of Damascus. You probably don't even know who he is. Because you say, oh, Ananias. Not the Ananias, I lied and I died. That's the different guy. All right? That's Ananias and Sapphira, a different chapter. But in Acts chapter 9, when Paul the Apostle has his vision, uh, Saul of Tarsus has the vision, he falls down. A few verses later, God tells this guy, Ananias of Damascus, to go pray with this fellow. And Ananias basically says to God, you know, maybe you don't get the news or the tweets, but uh, this guy's a terrorist, and thanks for giving him my name, by the way, you know. And, uh, and so 
Ananias, but Ananias goes. And it's amazing when you read it. He walks into this man who's now blinded because of the encounter with Jesus. And he says to him, Brother Saul. In other words, he knows, he sees God's at work in this guy's life no matter what his past reputation was. And Ananias prays with Saul of Tarsus, sees him healed, and launches him out. And within two verses, Ananias disappears. Disappears. I mean, we hit, he's referred to one more time in one of Saul, Paul's testimonies. But every other time, it's just the disciples at, 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 uh, the disciples at Damascus did this. Don't be afraid to be too small if your vision of God is too big. How is your vision of yourself? Do you really believe that God can use you to change another person's life by introducing them to Jesus Christ? That's not just a worldwide mission question. That's a local question. That's a workplace question. That's a university question. Any place you are. Is our vision of God too small? Is our vision of ourselves too small? Is our vision of the world too small? Let me just say something about these flags. All right, I bet you probably know what this one is. Okay, anybody not know that? All right. And anybody know what this one is on this side? State of Massachusetts. Yeah, we have our own flag. Anybody know what this one is? I actually don't. No? You think it's Peru? Let's go with Peru. All right, you know. And uh, I'm not sure. This is not India. India is that one back there with the little wheel on it, right? And then next to it is Angola. It's always nice to have a nice peaceful flag with a machete on it, you know. To the left of that is Haiti. To the left of that is I don't know. Uh, the next one with star on it is either Puerto Rico or Liberia. I can't remember. Philippines. And the next one's either Venezuela, Ecuador, or Colombia. They all used to be one country at one point. And then China. And others. But the point is this. These flags are here during Declare His Glory Week to remind us that there are places on earth that we don't even know. You know? I was talking to this fellow from, uh, from Gujarat, and I said, oh, I've been to India. He says, where have you been? I said, Bhubaneswar. And he looked at me like, you're making this up, aren't you? <laughs> there was a, country, a place in his own country he didn't even know where it was. Right? The world is big. But let me not discourage you by trying to get you to learn all the countries on earth. I would just love to have you be praying for one country that's not your own. That you learn about it. Go to operationworld.org. One word, operationworld.org. You can learn about every country on earth and how you can pray for them. Choose one. Or you can do what they do on the website. You can go through 365 days of prayers. But every, every Christian, if we really want to see God declare His glory among the nations, have a country in your prayer list that you pray for every day. Maybe it's North Korea. Maybe it's Iran that's in the news a lot. Saudi Arabia, which is back in the news. You know, maybe it's someplace from your own heritage. But it, how big is your vision for the world? It's too small, the Bible says, to be only concerned for our own. God wants us to be concerned for all the ends of the earth, to declare His salvation to the ends of the earth, that all the ends of the earth might fear Him. Finally, is our vision of our prayers too small? 
You might not believe this, but this week I uh, didn't get a phone call from President Trump. I don't think he calls Massachusetts much. But I was able to talk to the God of Donald Trump. In other words, there's no leader on earth that you can't affect by your prayer. Second, 1 Timothy 2 says, I want prayers and petitions to be made on behalf of kings and rulers and those who are in authority. Learn the president of a nation's name and pray for them by name. You know, the Bible says that the king's, uh, the king's is in the hand of the Lord and he can turn it any way he wants, the king's heart, you know. And, and maybe, you know, that's what we need to be doing. It's amazing to me, and I'm not making any general comment about the news media today other than the fact that it seems no matter whether conservative or liberal, however you interpret it, the principal role of, of media seems to be to make us afraid. To make us afraid that these people are going to do that or these people said that and back and forth they go and it's fear versus fear versus fear versus fear. That's why our prayers need to expand. Because the number one command in the whole Bible is don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. How big are your prayers? I like to pray in concentric circles according to Acts 1.8. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. Right? Jerusalem is your own community. Might be Natick, might be Dover Sherburn, it might, might be uh, Marlboro, wherever you are. Know something about the, the leadership in your own town there. Pray for the issues. Pray for your neighbors. Then Judea might be the larger region. Maybe it's Massachusetts, maybe it's New England. Samaria are those that are geographically close, but culturally distant. Meaning they're, they're culturally different. It could be anything from people in institutions to ethnic people who are different from our ethnicity and that we don't speak their language. And then to the ends of the earth is obviously to the ends of the earth. I, uh, because I travel a lot, I uh, get a lot of uh, jet lag. And one of the things that I do when I have jet lag is I pray through countries on earth A to Z. You know, and if I get to Zambia, then Zimbabwe on two different rotations, you know I'm just going to get up. <laughs> I can't get back to sleep yet. But learn, you know, learn countries, maybe just to pray for places. Get a globe. You know, and, don't, and say, I'm going to spin the globe and pray for whatever country I point to. You're going to end up in the ocean about 80% of the time, so don't do that. <laughs> You know, you go back to verse 1, you know, like, oh, listen, all the islands, you know. But, uh, but God works through His people's prayers. God works through His people's prayers. I'm so excited about the thought that when we get to heaven, you know, after spending time in worship and with Jesus, we'll get to hear testimonies of people. And God will connect the dots well, remember when you were at Westgate and you started praying for the Uyghur people in western China and then this gentleman and his wife went there and they did this and you started praying and did that and your prayers helped build the work of God in this work. We don't understand it all, but God works through his people's prayers. That's why he tells us to pray for kings and rulers and those who are in authority. I find in our country people complain more about our political leaders than they pray for them. And I'm pleased to report to you that's not just unique to the United States. Everybody seems to do that. And the Bible says, no, first. First. I, and it actually says in 1 Timothy 2, I want first of all prayers to be made before complaining. 
Are we praying for the people in charge? Is our vision too small? Yes, God says, I want to keep the church faithful. I want to keep the faithful people grow as disciples. I want you to be concerned about your own community and your own church, your own family and your own extended family. But he says, if that's all you're concerned about, he says, it's too small. It's too small for you to be my servant only for Westgate Church. It's too small for me to be my servant just for the Christian community in New England. I want to make you a light for the Gentiles that, all, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. The God who from Genesis to Revelation has a heart for the nations, commissioning Abraham in Genesis 12 to be a blessing to all the nations and, and predicting the day, foreshadowing the day when people from every tribe and tongue and language and nation are going to be worshiping Jesus in the book of Revelation. We live in that in-between time period where by declaring God's glory to the nations, we're expressing God's heart for all peoples. Let's pray. We celebrate the fact, Lord, this morning that you have allowed us to live at one of the most amazing times in all of Christian history. That this morning as we worship, we join with people from all over the world who have been worshiping Jesus this weekend from more than 2,000 languages. We thank you for our global family. We thank you that you are a global God who cares about all the nations. And we ask that you would enlarge our hearts to know more of who you are. We ask that you enlarge our perspective on ourselves to realize it doesn't matter our size, but your size. To enlarge our vision for our world, maybe to adopt even one country. To enlarge our vision of how our prayers can affect global history. We thank you, the God, that you're not just a neighborhood God, but you're a God of the nations. And we worship you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.